welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. Good morning, church. Are you guys cold? I'm cold. Can we do something about that? I don't want to freeze up here while I'm talking. <laughs> anyway, Happy New Year uh, to all of you, and I hope you had a good Christmas, and I'm glad that you're in the house of the Lord. I was uh, talking to God about what, uh, what he wanted me to share with his people here on the last Sunday of the year as we begin a new year. And... Uh, so let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer real quick and make sure it's his voice. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to even speak your name. Lord, I pray that uh, we invite the Holy Spirit to come right in our presence right now. And Holy Spirit, have, have full and free reign here. And Lord, you speak to our hearts, our minds. Just encompass us, Lord, with your spirit as you move. Lord, and I pray that the meditations of my heart would be acceptable unto you. Oh, Lord my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I like it when you respond. I don't like to talk to an empty crowd. So it's okay to say amen. Go for it. Throw money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, we like to have fun when it comes to the word of God. So as I was saying, you know, Lord, what can, what can we share with the church body uh, to kind of encourage you, strengthen you, challenge you, as we come into a brand new year. I mean, 2023, 2023 was anything but normal. I don't want to go through that again. Um, I mean, as we look at our, our world, our country, you know, crime is up, everything's up, inflation's up, costs are up, parents are, are, uh, are being prosecuted for standing up for their kids and wanting to get involved in their children's schools. Religious people are prosecuted for protesting. That's their right to protest. Uh, drag queens in public schools and libraries. Um, transgender surgery is going on with our children, and you're paying for it. Children divorcing their parents. There was a woman just the other day that legally married her cat. I mean, I never thought I'd see this, this thing happening in our society. Yet, you know, we know that what's happening is not new because the Bible tells us that to expect this. Um, freedom of speech is questionable. You know, this, 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 this is past week in New York City. New York City is trying to tell Chick-fil-A, you must stay open on Sunday. And it's not because they like their chicken. It's because they're believers. And I have a spoiler alert for you. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, they're coming after you. So in light of this, in light of what's happening in things this past year I never thought I'd be around a sea the Bible does say something about encouragement and challenge for the believer you know God God doesn't leave us alone he encourages us knowing that we may face problems trials persecutions in fact our brothers and sisters overseas are going through that you know we're, we're this church the Southern Baptist is supporting missionaries that are in harm's way in, in, the, in the Old Testament, our brothers and sisters suffered greatly there. Why should we be exempt? 
Yet Paul the Apostle, through his epistles, encourages us and challenges us to stand firm. And that's the title of my message this morning. Stand firm. And I hope this, this morning the Holy Spirit will encourage you to, to do just that. But I want to start with a passage that uh, is found in Deuteronomy. After, after the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to his people, Moses recorded, records this from, from the Lord. Oh, that my... It's in Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and their sons forever. That's simple. All you have to do is follow the Lord's rules. He says... If you have a heart for me, fear me, obey my commandments, and everything will be fine. Unfortunately, that's not what's happening. That would be so easy. And I never thought I'd see what we see happening in our country today. And I, and, and I kind of have bad news, but I have, I, have to, I have to tell you that I think it might get worse. But it's nothing new because Scripture warns us about that. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Romans chapter 1. And I want to kind of give you a little background of where our society is right now before I give you the encouraging part. Let's get, let's get the bad part over with first, and then we'll go to the encouraging part. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a lot of truth suppressing this past year. A lot of deception, a lot of lying. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it clear and evident to them. In other words, the world, our, our country, the world in general, knows about God. It says here in his word, he has made it evident. It says here that they are without excuse. They know. They know what they're doing is wrong. They, they know, you know, what is sin. They're, they're, they're aware of that. Creation talks about that. He says, it's been written. He says, for since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes, his internal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Hence, creation. So that they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was dar darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of foolish people on TV. They think they're smart, they're not. Don't be fooled. Please, as a believer, know your scripture. In Ohio, months ago, Ohio was passing a, a, a new law to their constitution, an abortion issue. You know what they did? I don't know if you're aware of it. But they put out billboards with Christian scripture. They wanted to fool believers, vote for this because this is godly. Abortion? It, the bill passed because believers voted for it. They were not aware what the Bible teaches. God tells us, Here's, here's, here's how to live. Here's my rules. Here's my standards. Know them. You're not supposed to, your Bible, you're not supposed to put your Bible on a, on a nightstand or a coffee table and leave it alone. Pick it up and read it. Understand it. That makes you a very dangerous person to Satan if you know your scripture. Because you can't be fooled. 
and the media won't fool you. And, the, and, and, and people out there in the world that are trying to deceive you will not fool you because you know what the truth is. They became fools, the Bible says, verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is nothing but willful ignorance. Our society has decided to ignore what God has plainly said in plain view. We don't care to believe him. We don't care to follow him. So there are consequences. Look at verse, go down to verse 24. Therefore, it's important when you see the word therefore to realize why it's therefore, okay? Therefore, notice what God says, verse 24. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Look at verse 26. Again, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts. Notice what it says, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Well, that sounds like AIDS to me. Look at verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And it goes on to say, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, slanders, and on and on and on. This is the consequences of willful ignorance. And I believe in, in my heart that we are living right now and our society has been abandoned by God. You want to do those things? Do them. You want to act that way? Act that way. And a loving Heavenly Father has to sometimes step back, do what you want to do. Remember what it said in Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what's happening today. Our society is in serious trouble. Nothing will help apart from a supernatural act of God. Because although this was written a long time ago, what we see happening today is what was written a while ago. It's sad, really. It's sad. Yet Paul unlocks more practical advice to the church at Philippi with regards to the peace in the Christian life. You can have peace though you see trouble. You can have peace though, you, though you're going through trouble, Paul writes. And the peace of the Christian life, which in essence is just the presence of Jesus in your life because he brings peace. Peace with self, peace with others, peace, peace in circumstances. I'm turning to Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians and Ephesians were written around the same time. And although they're chronologically different, I believe Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians and sent it to the church first and then to the Ephesians, the, the letters to the Ephesians. But notice what it says there in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, is that therefore again, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, 
So stand firm in the Lord. Now you have to understand that the churches there in Philippi and Ephesians, they were having struggles, they were having persecutions and issues. So Paul addressed the issue too because he saw it. You need to stand firm. Jump down to verse 5. He says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to men. The Lord is near. And here's the key verse that we've all read. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. How many times have we read that? Don't fret. Don't fear. Don't, don't be anxious. But Paul, right off the bat, in verse 1 says, stand firm. Paul addresses the vital question of how believers can be spiritually stable. And the word stand firm is a main verb in the Greek of verses, verses 1 through 9 in that passage. It is an in imperative, a command, with an almost military tone to it. Stand firm. Don't move. Come what may. That was Paul's direction to the church there. There are, they, as a believer there, he said, he's telling them, you're not to collapse under prosecution or compromise or fail under testing or complain or yield to temptation or sin, but you're to stand firm. Now the passage opens up, I like this again, I like the word therefore, which indicates that what Paul is about to write builds on what he has just written. Because he goes on to say, after that, he says, let your forbearing spirit be known to men. Notice when he says, the Lord is near. There is no greater source of spiritual stability than the confidence that the Lord is near. Or also interpreted, the Lord is alongside. Doesn't Jesus say, I'll never leave you, forsake you? Do you believe that? Well, if you do, why am I fearing? Why am I anxious? Why should I be anxious about 2024 if the Lord is alongside me? And so he's telling the church Believers in Philippi, stand firm, the Lord's near, be anxious for nothing. And I'm sure they had it a little harder than we did. The Greek word near, pronounced angus, can mean near in space or near in time. But I think Paul's illustration here is talking about the Lord's nearness in the sense of his presence. And I believe that's what he's saying. Unfortunately, when Christians face trials and temptations, we forget all about God. You notice that? We, we immediately panic. I had a, when, I was, when I was a kid, uh, went backpacking. A group, I was a junior high. We went backpacking to Yosemite or somewhere around there. We got lost. <laughs> um, our church leader, it's his fault. We got lost. Uh, and so everyone was panicking and but our pastor was cool. He called the audience of the congregation together and he said, do Christians panic or do they pray? It made sense. We weren't afraid. We were having a good time. We didn't have to go to school. <laughs> we're, up, we're lost. We're, we, can, we can fish. We can hunt. We'll be fine. But the parents back home were, you know, they got eaten by a bear. They started, they started to panic weird things. You know, you know how human nature is. But we're not to panic. The, the, the Lord who is near is the Almighty, the living God, revealed in Scripture. Because of the presence of God, believers are to what? Be anxious for nothing, Paul says. If you believe that God is near you, there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to be anxious about. Anxious carries the, the, word, the word anxious carries the idea of being divided or torn apart. You ever seen someone who's anxious, I mean really bad? You can get yourself sick for being anxious. 
Nothing out, is outside of his sovereign control or too difficult that God cannot handle. A low view, I believe a low view of God leads to myriads of problems in the local church. And that's sad because there are believers that have a low view of God. They keep God in a box. God's not in a box. He's the sovereign of the universe. He knows tomorrow. He already knows about 2024 and beyond. Weak, struggling, unstable Christians need to build their strength on the foundation of what the Bible says about God. You either believe it or you don't. Anxious, fretful, worried believers are un, in, in inherently unstable. And listen to this. They are vulnerable to trials and temptations. Listen to what the word says. Anxiety is both a violation of scripture and it's absolutely necessary. You get a bad report from the doctor, stand firm. Lost your job? Stand firm. God will take care of you. The same God that lives right now is the same God of the Old Testament. He has not changed. He acts today like he did back then. And he's looking for men and women to believe in him, to believe exactly that, that he can do what he can do because he says he'll do it. Paul gives further practical help to the letter of the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, you remember the... Uh, the concept of the armor of God. But Paul in the book of Ephesians has m many more arguments for the believer. For example, in the book of Ephesians, he talks about your position as a believer, your rights, what your, what your benefits are as a believer. Secondly, you know the theme there, saved by grace. That's where we get our scripture, 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, right? Um, grace. Practice, the practice of believers. Relation to spiritual gifts. Relation to evil. The protection of believers. Against whom and with what? You have to understand something, brothers and sisters. We're in a battle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in a battle. And God doesn't give exemptions. You're all in the fight. You can't sit on the sidelines. It doesn't work that way. The armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 begins in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord. But notice what he says in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm. Verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. There's a, there's a, there's a plan here Paul's trying to get across. Look at verse 14. Stand firm. Go back to 13. Having every done to, everything to stand firm. 14. Stand firm, firm therefore. You know, many believers read this passage and they think we've well, got the, the helmet, the shield, this, and the shoes. And, oh, 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 oh. We're supposed to fight. We're supposed to run. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's just saying stand. Just stand. We're not doing any fighting. God's the one that gets the glory. He's the one who's going to do the fighting for you. Paul here in Ephesians is telling the church, just simply Stand. When trouble comes in 2024, stand firm. That's what, God, that's what the Lord is saying. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to, to believers this morning by way of encouragement. I don't know what's coming. may not be good. doesn't matter. God's in control. And if 
things happen in my personal life, family life, or this country, we don't fear. We stand firm as Christians. We stand firm. And show that to your neighbors. So they'll come to you and they'll tell you, what makes you different? Well, glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because you're a witness in the midst of the hell they may be going through our country. So Paul tells the Ephesians church, once again, that's all we're supposed to do is just stand firm. And I'd like to show you in the moments we have left a few examples in, in the Old Testament of men that did just that. Who God called them to do extraordinary things. And all they did was stand firm in the, in the task that God called them to do. And you have to remember, they're just, they were just simple men and women. Not like you and I, except they lived in a different time. And one of my favorites is Noah. Huh, you think you had it, you think you have it tough. Look at what it says in Genesis 6, if you turn there with me. First of all, look at verse 6. This is kind of a sad commentary. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I didn't think it was possible that God grieved until I read this. Of course, I read this years and years ago. But God grieves. He does. He grieves when Hamas attacked the Jewish people October 6th. Well, why did you, why did you let it happen? You know what? Man has a will and a choice. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says you are commanded to be saved. Did you know that? It's in Scripture. God commands everyone in the world, be saved. Is everyone in the world going to be saved? Nope. He'd like you to be saved. He'd like the whole world to be saved. But they're not going to be saved. Notice, the Lord was grieved in his heart. Why? Well, look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Jump down to verse 12. And, the, and, the, and, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted, notice, their way upon the earth. That's an important statement. All flesh had corrupted their way. In other words, you're born, start corrupting. Here's uh, Betsy and Bobby. Start corrupting. That's all he did. They corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. And, 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 and God sees Noah. I got a job for you. Scientists, creation scientists believe that it may, be, may have taken Noah about 97, 97 years to build that ark. Give or take some. That's a big boat. I mean, he, God says, build a boat. What's a boat? He doesn't even know what an ocean is. He didn't question. I don't find anywhere in Scripture where, where Noah argued with God. said, wait a minute, I, I want to unionize. No. Or do I get days off? No. Just build a boat. The boat was intended to float. That's all. I mean, God could have done it an easy way, but he chose this way. And Noah didn't argue with God. But Jude and Peter mentioned that Noah not only hammered nails, but he warned of judgment. While he was hammering nails, judgment's coming. It's going to flood. Can you imagine the ridicule? Because no one, up to that point, it never rained on the earth. Read your Bible. God would cover the earth with a morning dew. What was rain? What was snow? White, lumpy rain. I mean, they didn't know. But what was happening in reality, because people wonder, why did, why did God destroy the world? You know what happened? 
notice verse 2. The term sons of God is an interpretation of angels. Sons of God is used to reference angels. In this case here, it's bad angels. In verse 4, the Bible calls them the Nephilim. Okay, they're fallen ones, evil angels. And what they were doing in verse 2 is that fallen angels were having sex with human women, creating a weird race. That's what was going on. So everything was corrupt. You know what the devil was up to? He was trying to pollute the gene line of Noah because Noah, Jesus was the direct line from Noah. That's what the devil was up to. The Greek word for blameless in verse, I'm not Greek, the Hebrew word for the word blameless in verse 9 of Genesis 6, it says, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Not blameless that he didn't sin. The interpretation in the Hebrew was he was blameless as far as his gene line. The devil was trying to corrupt humanity so that Jesus wouldn't be born. And God said, can't have that. I'm wiping them all out. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, it's going to happen in the coming of the Son of Man. What are they doing right now? Well, let's see, uh, if you're a boy, you can be a girl. If you're a girl, you can be a boy. Or you can be an it, maybe a them. Maybe you can, maybe you can marry your cat. No, there's no more misses and men, there's no misters and misses. Now there's 37 genders. Did you know that? I, I know, I know, here on the news, a guy gets fired because he says, no, there's only two genders. No, no, not, you're fired. Something's wrong with you. The world is changing fast. Devil's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said. Yet here's Noah standing fast, immovable. I'm going to do what I'm told to do. In the face of tremendous opposition. You know how corrupt they were? Only, only eight were saved. The rest of them perished. That's pretty corrupt. Noah stood firm. I like this guy in Numbers chapter 25. His name's Phineas. If I, if I would have had a son, I would have called him Phineas. And he probably would have hated me. I like Phineas. Let, let me give you the background. In, in, in Numbers 25, it, the, the Jewish people were just about done with their 40 years in the wilderness. You remember the story. Okay? They kind of messed up, and God says, all right, you're going to march around Sinai for 40 years. They were just about the end. And they're coming to a town in, in Numbers 25, verse 1, the town of Shittim. That's a bad name. You know, you know there's, a, there's, there's a town in Oregon called Boring? Where do you live? Boring. If, if, if I lived in this town, I would have moved out or at least changed the name. But anyway, this was the last town before into the promised land. Okay? And let me give you a little background with the story. There was a prophet named Balaam who prophesied for money. He was really kind of a dummy, a jerk. And a king named Balak came to Balaam and said, Hey, there's these people crossing the land. I want you to curse them. You know the story, if you know the story. God said to, to Balaam, Don't curse them, they're my people. And Balaam kept going back and forth, back and forth. Finally, you know, he had the encounter with the jackass, one jackass talking to another. And he got his, finally got his point across, okay? God said, Don't mess with my people. But Balaam did something bad. 
he told the king, if you want to get at these people, this is what you do. You intermarry, intermingle your people, the Moabites, with them. Because what, what did God say? I don't want no, no intermarriage. Because see, God's a jealous guy. He doesn't want his believers, like you, like me, being influenced by nonsense. Because he's jealous for you. See, God wants you all for himself. I don't want you being influenced by this or by this nonsense or whatever's out there. You're mine. Well, so the king did that, and they intermarried the Moabite women with, with the people of God. You know what happened? Problem is, the Moabites were pagan worshippers. They worshipped Baal, some stone god. Okay, and to join the church of Baal, you get. I have news for you. The church. Uh, in their worship service, they, they do prostitution. Oh, that church was signing up a lot, of, a lot of new people. I mean, come and go. I'll sign up for that church. And so all the people of God were going to worship Baal, doing the prostitution, this evil thing in front of God's eye. And God was angry. It says that the Lord was angry uh, uh, with them. And he, he told Moses to go and kill all the leaders of, of Israel. And what brings Phineas, Phineas in the, in, into the picture is some guy... Uh, verse 6, let me show you, of, of uh, Numbers 25. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Moabite woman in the sight of Moses in the sight of the congregation. So picture this. Here's Moses and these people, the, the leaders, and they're in a tent sort of meeting, kind of, and they're kind of worshiping and they're kind of praying because God is inflicting a plague and killing thousands for their sin. God's not going to put up with that. Man, they broke the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And here comes this guy flaunting. His, here's, my, here's my Moabite uh, prostitute. We're going to go worship. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I'm just flaunting it. And notice what happens. Verse 7. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from the midst of the congregation. He took a spear in his hands. He went after the man of Israel into his tent and speared both them through. The man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague of the sons of Israel was checked. And those who died by the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Look what God said. Verse 11. Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel. In verse 13, God says, because he was jealous for his God. Here's this guy flaunting his Moabite. Just look at me. No shame. No embarrassment. And Phineas says, give me that sword. You're dead. Sick of this. How dare you insult God? Phineas. And notice what the Lord said. In verse 11. My jealousy, so that I did not, says, therefore, verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 12. Therefore, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. Verse 13. And it shall be from him and from his descendants after him a covenant, a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God. See, God, God honors those that stand for him. Remember King David? When he was a, a boy, just what, 14, 13? His dad says, Jesse, his dad says, go see your brothers around the battlefield. Take this food. So David goes off and he comes to the battlefield, and here's uh, the Israelites on this side of the valley, and over here are the Philistines, and there's one big guy named Goliath. And he's, he's making fun of the, 
of the Israelite army, yelling profanities at them. Your, your mother wears army boots, you know, yelling things like that, making fun of them, right? And here comes David, just a kind of, you know, just, you know, the kid. And he sees what's going on, and here's that, and he just, can you just picture, here's his brothers and the, and the army. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living? Let me at him, let me tear his head off. Stand back, stand back. And you know the story. He took five stones in a sling. And the Bible says he charged after him. Where did he get such courage? I'll tell you where he got it. When he was a young kid, you wouldn't find him playing video games day after day, hour after hour. He wasn't drag racing his chariot on Friday nights. You know, he was up on the hills playing his electric guitar harp and writing songs to the Lord. He was building his relationship with God. Phineas, David, will stand. Does it bother you as a believer that God's name is used in vain? Does it anger you when, you know, you know, Governor Newsom put up a billboard a couple months ago, again with abortion issues, misquoting scripture. In fact, John MacArthur, a pastor in Panorama City, California, warned him, Governor, you're on thin ice. Cursed is he that does the work of the Lord deceitfully. You're in trouble. You don't, you don't mess with God or his word. Phineas, David, just regular people. Just regular people. David was just a kid. That's why I like working with youth like James over here. Man, you know, the youth group we have right now growing, we could change the world with these kids. Amen? Turn them loose. They're like little lions. Turn them loose. Power in God. Champions for the Lord. There's this family in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Jeremiah. I like them. They're called the Rechabites. Sounds like a food, but it's not. Jeremiah 35. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet called to, the, to Judah because Judah was kind of not obeying God. And, and so God sent a prophet. Hey, basically, Jeremiah was telling the, Jew, the, the people of Judah, you better change. Trouble's coming. God's going to punish you. And you know the story. They didn't. Forty years of proclaiming God's judgment, and they refused to listen. Of course, they got deported when Nebuchadnezzar came. But here's Jeremiah, and God one day calls on Jeremiah, and he says this in verse 1 of Jeremiah 30, 35. The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, look at this, verse 2, Go to the house of the Rechabites, and speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. That seems weird. God wants me to have a tea party with them. <laughs> I mean, Jeremiah didn't, I don't think Jeremiah knew what was going on. But God was going to show him a little illustration here. Take the Rechabites, bring them into the house of the Lord, and give them some wine. Okay. So look at verse 6. When that all happened, notice what they said to Jeremiah. We will not drink wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you your, or your sons, forever. And you shall not, verse 7, you shall not build a house, you shall, you shall not sow seed, don't plant a vineyard, don't own one, but in tents you will dwell, verse 8, and we have obeyed the voice all the days of our life. Now we're not going to drink wine. What's wrong with you? I don't think Jeremiah knew. Look at verse 13. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? Verse 14, The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But you, I have spoken to you again and again, you don't listen to me. You can almost hear, see God's frustration. But I don't think it's his frustration as much as his disappointment that his people were so stubborn. God used the fidelity of the Rechabites as an object lesson to Judah, who by contrast had broken God's laws. He's basically saying, you know, God's the father, right? He's telling his children, you children over here, don't listen. It's like you're telling your son, why don't you do what your brother does? How come you don't listen like your sister does? You ever done that? My people don't listen to me. Why can't they be like the Rechabites? They won't drink wine. Oh, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments. Always, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. Don't you hear that right now? You think, you know, God doesn't take pleasure in judgment. He'd rather throw blessing and loving kindness. But my people don't listen to me. Verse 15, notice, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, turn from your evil way. Amend your deeds. Don't go after other gods and worship them. For you have not listened to me. He even sent Jesus. And we don't listen to him. But notice how God honored the Rechabites. Look at verse 18. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, your father, kept all his commands and done according to all he commanded you. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. See how God, see how God honors when you honor him? There was a young athlete back in 1924. His name was Eric Little. They made a movie about him called The Chariots of Fire back in 1980. I think it won Best Picture, Best Soundtrack. If you've never seen the movie, you've got to see it. Go, go buy it. It was a story of Eric Little, a, a Christian man who ran for the Lord, and then a Jewish guy, uh, Harold Abrams, a true story, who basically ran for himself. Eric Little trained to be a missionary in China, and that's where he ended up. In fact, uh, when World War II broke out, Japan invaded China. And they captured Eric Little and others and held him in prison, and that's where Eric Little died. But he loved to run. And at one time, he was considered one of the fastest men on the planet. I mean, he could run. In fact, he said, when, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He had, a, he had a unique talent. He also had this thing about him. He would not run on Sunday. And you might think, well, that's kind of weird. You know, I, I, for years, I've told my wife, I don't do dishes on Sunday. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. But he would, not, he would not run on Sunday. Sunday is God's day. Yeah, I like, I like that. So he wouldn't run. So when he went to the Olympics in Paris, 1924, on his way there, unbeknownst to him, two of his, his heats, they call them, were on Sunday. And so he, he addressed the Olympic committee, I'm not running. 
What? You, you, you're, you're representing Great Britain. Not running. Not running. No. I said, but king before God. Nope. God before king. They made it in the papers. And it was a big thing. He did not move. He stood firm. Do you know who caved in? The Olympic Committee. They changed his heats. It was all over the paper. What a testimony. On one of his last races, he was at the starting block, and another athlete from America, his name was Jackson Schultz, who I met. And Jackson Schultz slipped on the paper. You know what it said? The paper read, it says in the old book, he, who's on, he who honors me, I will honor. Eric Little. The Rechabites! We're not drinking wine. We'll be obedient. You can call me a Twinkie. I'm not changing. I'll stand firm to what God has called me to do. And then one of my last examples this is one of my favorite. In the book of Daniel, you have the story of the three Hebrew children. I like the story because they were teenagers. James, they were teenagers, okay? And these were Daniel and his friends were deported from Judah to Babylon. They were taken captive. Unfortunately, the good go with the bad, when the bad screw up, we kind of all get messed up. So here they are, and right off the bat in, in Daniel chapter 1, they decided, well, we're going to be true to God. You know, they could, they could have said this, well, we're not in our homeland. No one knows we're living here. We'll just kind of do what we want to do. No one's going to know, but they would not do that. We'll stand firm. And in chapter 1, they decided not to eat the king's food. They'll rather have vegetables and you know, so they put aside the pizza, and they went for vegetables. And as, as a result, God blessed them, God honored them, and the king hired them into service in the king's administration, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, in chapter 3, we find these three guys again. And Daniel's nowhere in the picture, and I believe the reason there's mention of, no mention of Daniel is because Daniel was probably sent off to state business. So he was gone. And this king, who was full of himself, decided to erect a statue 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and encase it or gold plate it. It's a golden statue. And he basically t tells his empire, all right, when the band plays, bow down and worship. Otherwise, it's the barbecue for you. Plain and simple. I mean, you know, you know I, it's interesting. So here are these three young men. And pick up the story. I want to show you something. In Daniel chapter 3, look at verse 7. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn and all the, the, the pipe, the lyre, all that music, and all kinds of music, notice this. Now, I'm sorry, I should have said this at the outset. I'm reading from the New American Standard, by the way. But anyway, it says this, in the middle of the verse, All the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Notice what it says. Okay? All the peoples, nations, you follow? And men of every language. So in Babylon, which at the time was the greatest empire on the planet, had nations, men of other language. Everybody was there. Everybody. Not just Babylonians. And he sets up this statue. And when the band plays, worship. Wait a minute. Where's the ACLU? Where's the protesters? Where's, you know? Notice, it's just... Everyone bows down. You know, it kind of makes me wonder. You know, when, uh, when COVID hit us, 
how quickly people were ready to just shoot me. I mean, oh, you don't, you don't take the vaccine? Well, if you don't take the vaccine, you're causing other people to get sick. You're a, non you're a racist. You're a nonconformist. Same thing happens here. Everyone just, except three young men. Three young men versus an empire. We're not bowing. They stood firm. So, of course, the word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar, and he knew him because he hired him. And he says, is it true? You don't bow down and worship my idol? That's right. You know why I know they were teenagers? Look at verse uh, 19. You ever had a teenager? <laughs> Look at this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression altered toward the boys. You know, teens are, teens are cool. You know, I can, I can just picture this. Use your imagination. The king's telling them, why don't you bow down? I want you to bow down. They're going, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Blah, blah, loser. I mean, there's, there's, we're not going to bow down. What are you? What have you been smoking? We're not bowing down. But notice their response earlier in the passage. We don't need to give you any word on that. The God we serve will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. There were no conditions. They knew they'd probably die. But they're going to stand firm. Three young men versus an empire. I wonder if we have that much chutzpah to do the same thing when they're coming after you for your faith. Share your faith while you still have time. Stand up for the Lord. Be the Christian he's called you to be. These are just regular boys. And, and notice, notice the, the, their faith their faith brought deliverance, protection, and reward and glory to God. I, I could see the Lord. Look at these guys. You know, what, you know what Jesus said? And I'm just paraphrasing. I think I'll go join them. And that's what happened. And the king said, Who, I thought we threw in three. Where the first four? Because God honored them for their stand. Just like he'll honor you for your stand. For your bravery. For your fortitude. You know, Daniel himself... In, in chapter 6, he faced a similar thing. He was serving a different king, the Persian Empire, Darius. Darius liked Daniel. They were friends. Daniel was in, 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 in government all. He served like four, four different kings. And here he is in chapter 6, serving the, the Darius, the king of Persia. And, and Daniel was outspoken for his, you know, he was a man, faultless man. So you know what they did? His kind of sort of friends, friends if you want to call them that, they set him up. They indicted him on false charges. Well, what does that sound like? They indicted him on false charges. And they're bringing him before the court. And they, and they tricked the king, and the king signed an edict, unbeknownst to him, sending Daniel to his death. Daniel stood firm. I'm still going to worship the Lord. So I've been doing it all, all my life. And even when they, when they put Daniel on the line, because the king, the Bible says, the king hurried himself, worried himself, trying to figure out how to save him. Because he, he figured out I've been tricked. But notice what the king said, what Darius said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. He says this, six verse, chapter 6 verse 16, he says, Your God whom you, listen to this, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. What a prophetic statement. Because that's exactly what happened. 
his life before the king was evident. I serve God. I serve you, king, faithfully, but I serve you. You remember Joseph? 17 years age, sold into slavery. You know the story. His brothers. Boy, with brothers like that, who needs enemies? They sold him into slavery. He's set up by Potiphar's wife. He goes to work for Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife has the hots for him. You talk about a desperate housewife. She was it. She has the hots for him. She sets him up, holding the coat. He's, he's convicted 13 years in prison. Where's God? I'm an innocent man. You never hear that in Scripture. You know what you find in Scripture? Joseph's life? God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. He had a plan for him. It says that God's plan is not our plan. But he was going to raise Joseph to be the second in command in Egypt in the most powerful kingdom at that time to save a people. You know, and, then, and in the end, when they picked Joseph, the Pharaoh did, because of his dreams, you recall, this is what the Pharaoh said of Joseph in Genesis 41, 38. He says, can we find a man like this in whom there's a divine spirit? Once again, he's living his life out for God. You know, we need people to live, live for Jesus. The world is looking for people to, to walk truth, speak truth, and follow Jesus. Because when they see that in your life, they will follow you. All these examples in Old Testament teachings, they had to endure it. They walked through it. They lived it. They didn't cower. They stood. They didn't re re remain silent. They spoke out. They stood firm. You know, Jesus gives a great example about trials in John 16. I'll borrow it from him. He said, when a woman is in labor, that's tough stuff. Guys, we don't know. Right? That's hard stuff. If you've delivered. I witnessed a few, but never delivered. When she's in labor, she has pain. For sure. Oh, here's the question. What is, what is causing her the pain? The birth of the child. What is causing her the joy? The birth of the child. I've had Christians tell me, hey, pray for me, Dan. I'm going through some tough circumstances. Pray that God gives me some good circumstances. It doesn't work that way. The joy comes through the pain. When you have tough situation in your life, stand firm. God's going to give you the joy through it. Great example of Jesus. Here's my last thought this morning. Hang on. If you were arrested today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that. So we got, we're, we're arresting Dan. No, there's evidence because I'm a Christian. But think about that statement. If you were arrested for being a Christian, does your life display that evidence? No problem convicting me because I'm a Christian. Remember what Paul said, okay? Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. The Lord walks alongside us. He'll walk alongside you in 2024. He will not let you down. But he's asking you, trust me. Come to me. He says, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. And stand firm. Let's close in prayer. Father, this morning we just want to thank you for your word because 
where would we be if we didn't have your word? Your word uh, describes and gives us the evidence we need to live the life you call us here on planet Earth until you come. So, Lord, I pray that uh, as the Holy Spirit moves in our midst, Lord, that uh, what we try to present here this morning does not fall on deaf ears. But, Lord, that you would challenge us as we come into a new year. Lord, help us keep you first. Help us put our trust in you. And come what may, Lord, not forget who you are in our lives, but spend more time with you. Spend more time with your people as you want us to, as we see your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit wants to do something. So, so bear with me. God loves this church. I love this church. So I want to ask you three things before we close. Number one, if, if you're not saved, get saved. God is in the business of changing lives, but he's not in the business of playing games. Okay? If you can't remember the day you received Christ as your personal Savior, be sure today. Start 24, primo, brand new. Jesus hung on a cross naked, openly, unrecognizable for you. You can walk 50 feet and come to the altar of God. You're not coming to a church. You're coming to Jesus. I'm just the messenger. Bruce, would you join me up here? Gene, would you join me up here? Gene, would you join me up here? So, number one, if you're not saved, will you get saved? Secondly, if you're a believer this morning, and maybe you're not living the way you should be living, and I don't believe in the word backslider or backbiter, backburner, you're more like, you're like, you know, you're off track. Get back in line with Jesus. He's coming real soon. You and I will stand before him one day. Are you ready to face him? Are you, are you happy with the way you're, are you, are you talking to him a lot? Are you coming to church? Are you worshiping? Uh, you guys at home, that if you're, if you're physically able to come to church and you live in the area, come back. No more couch Christians. Come back. The blessing is in proximity. This is proximity right here. The Lord wants to bless you. Don't fear. But come back to the Lord. If that's you, you need to rededicate your life. No fear. Not here, not here to embarrass you. you know, don't be ashamed. We love you. We want, we want to embrace you and give you the same joy we have if we've, if we, as we follow Jesus as these men of God do. And then thirdly, if you need prayer for direction, for guidance, maybe there's a health issue. Maybe you've been praying for someone and maybe they're not here or not in town. Stand in for them. We'll be happy to pray. You know, the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. God is a loving Father. He says, I will pour out my spirit as he is, and he wants to do signs and wonders in our lives. Do you believe him too? So, if you don't know Jesus, don't leave this morning without coming to Christ. Don't be afraid. Just come, take our hand. I want to know Jesus. Be happy to pray with you. Be the greatest decision you ever made. Or come and say, I want to rededicate. Great, great. A lot of us have had that. And then thirdly, if you need prayer, come. We'll be happy to lay hands on you and pray. Because that's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do here this morning. Will you stand as the worship team leads us? And as you stand, as they, as they play, please come. Come in Jesus' name.
Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.